Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which our risen Savior speaks to us today is the gospel you just heard read, John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. A mother's joy over her newborn. After nine long months, after the labor pains of childbirth, joy overwhelms the agony. Her hands hold a new life. Her own dear child, God's creation through her. What joy. In the text here, you too heard Jesus speaking about joy. He says here, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, what is Jesus' joy? Well, it's to bask in the love of his Father as he carries out the Father's commands. That's what he said here. The Father has loved me. And a little later, I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And how do you and I, how do we share in that joy? By obeying his commands and basking in his love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And yet, isn't this rather different than our way of thinking? How can obedience bring joy? That contradicts our national mindset where it's liberty and freedom that's supposed to bring joy, right? You know that phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, as you look at our country, how much joy do you really see? People may be pursuing their dreams. Some may even achieve their dreams, but does that bring lasting joy? Doesn't worry about holding on to the dream or desire for even more or despondency about what to do now, what to do next, drive out the joy? And how often isn't freedom abused, bringing pain and sorrow rather than joy? Yes, in this fallen world, liberty may well be better than authoritarianism, but selfishness has ruined both. However, dear friends, Jesus' way of obedience here is far different, far, far different than what the world imagines Jesus' way of obedience is not the coerced obedience demanded by a slave-driving tyrant. No. This is your friend, your dearest friend, saying, love each other as I have loved you. Let's take that theme to heart here today. Love each other because Jesus is your friend. That's where joy begins. What a friend Jesus is. He laid down his life for us. That's what he talks about here, isn't it? Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
Jesus is the friend who laid down his life for you and for me. That's the first part we want to think about here today. And you all know that truth well, don't you? How many of you mothers have taught it to your children? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. Your children from little on up confess, Jesus loves me, he died for me. Yes, we know that truth well. Many, most of us probably have known it from our mother's arms on up, and yet, this is a truth that is still transforming and changing us. Even though as children we could confess it with our mouths, confessing it in our actions is training that lasts for our entire life. No matter what age you are, there is still so much for us to learn, to grow in, as we learn to put into practice what it means that Jesus laid down his life for us. We are ever maturing to grow more and more so that that truth fills our heart and mind, our will and actions. Jesus, your dearest friend, laid down his life for you. Now what does that mean, to put that truth into practice? Jesus explains very simply, love each other as I have loved you. Let's think about what that means. First of all, dear friends, beware the world's trap here. In the second lesson today, you heard John warning us against the ways of the world, the world's falsehoods and trap. You see, the world wants to divorce love from obedience. But if a mother tells her five-year-old to stop hitting his little brother, and he looks up at her and says, but mommy, I love you and I love him, and then goes back to hitting his brother, do those words mean anything? Love obeys. The world imagines that love does what feels right in your heart, but Christian love flows from God's love for us and our love for God which obeys his commands. Christian love knows that loving God means obeying what he says. And as we think about that, that love obeys, we realize that to really know what love is, we need to listen to God. And that's the next step here as we are aware and, and, and take guard against the world's trap Next, next we listen to what God says here. And what does he say about love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love for God stands firm in his truth, refusing to compromise any teaching of Scripture you see, if love obeys, it certainly won't be changing what God says. Manipulating God's word is not obedience and therefore certainly not love. Love stands firm in all that God's written word teaches, no matter what the cost, just as Jesus did. He 
obeyed his father's commands, no matter what the cost. Yes, even though it cost him the cross. And then our love for others flows from that love for God. Think of how scripture describes love for others. Love is patient. Love is kind. It turns the other cheek. It it walks the other mile. Just as love for God refuses to compromise anything that would change God's word or take away from his honor, so love for others is willing to give up anything that may affect me personally if it will further the kingdom of Christ. You see, love would even go so far as to allow my person to be ridiculed, abused, or persecuted if that would further the kingdom of Christ in the hearts of others. For love does not selfishly hold on to things. Love does not insist on my rights. Rather, love gives up all, suffers all, sacrifices all for the sake of Christ. Love each other as I have loved you, Jesus says. Love each other no matter what the cost, just as Jesus did. He loved you, even though it cost him the cross. And now do you see why this is a training that goes on for our entire life? Why we have so much room for growing in our love for others? We have just really only begun putting into practice that truth. That truth that Jesus laid down his life for us so also then we love others as he has loved us. Now how does Jesus strengthen us? to put that truth into practice more and more, to love each other. Well, he strengthens us by taking us back to that same fundamental truth that he, our dearest friend, has laid down his life for us. For think of how that truth not only assures you of heaven someday, but, but strengthens you for your life right here and now. Your dearest friend, Jesus Christ, has laid down his life for you. Don't you think he has your back no matter what might happen as you love others? Yes. When you know that truth, you know that Jesus laid down his life for you while, while we were still his enemies. And so... Now that he calls you his friend, how much more certain can't you be that his love will never fail you? That's why we can love others, no matter what the cost. Because Jesus has loved you, and he is certainly taking care of you. That's why we can love others without thinking about ourselves first. Because Jesus first loved you. And that love for others flows from that love that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, that dearest friend, laid down his life for you and for me. But strength that gives us to love one another. And yet as we think about this friendship that Jesus talks about here, we need to keep in mind that Jesus' friendship towards us is is unique, one of a kind. There are many things about friendships that do not necessarily apply to this particular friendship. In fact, Jesus only brings out two points of comparison here. 
First, that a friend lays down his life. And we've now talked about that first point. And the second point Jesus brings out here is that a friend shares his plans. And that brings us to the second part here today. Jesus says here, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus, your dearest friend, makes the Father's plan known to you and to me. He does that as he calls us friends. But notice how Jesus also makes it clear, as we said a little while ago, that this is a very unique kind of friendship. It's not a friendship like mutual friends who are are drawn together because they share something in common. Rather, Jesus makes it very clear that we did not choose him. Rather, he chose us. And he did not choose you or me because of anything in us. We were sinners, repulsive to him. We were rebels, hostile to him. We were traitors, serving Satan. He chose us because of his love, grace, and mercy according to his goodwill. We were powerless to come to him Our inborn, sinful self hated him. But Jesus says here, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It all depends on him. And as we look at this friendship with Jesus, we see what a uniqueness it is. For he is our God, and we are his creatures. He is the one who has paid the ransom to redeem us. We belong to him. He freed us from slavery to sin to be servants of righteousness. He is our God and Redeemer. And so in every sense, he is fully our Lord, and yet he also calls us friends. And why? Well, as he says, because he makes the Father's plans known to us. And what are those plans of the Father? Well, let's go back to another nighttime conversation Jesus had during the first part of his ministry with a man named Nicodemus, recorded in John chapter 3. Jesus explained to Nicodemus that Only the Holy Spirit, working through the water and word of baptism, can bring anyone into God's kingdom. It's a rebirth. And even though we cannot see the Spirit, just like we cannot see the wind, yet even on this earth we see the evidence of the Spirit's work, changing the lives of those who have been reborn. Now, Nicodemus asks how this can be. And Jesus responds by saying that he has been telling Nicodemus about the things that you can see here on this earth, and yet he doesn't believe. How will he believe heavenly things? But then Jesus, in his mercy, goes on and pulls back that heavenly curtain. He reveals the Father's secret counsel as he tells Nicodemus and us the Father's plan of salvation. The Son of Man who came from the Father's side, would be lifted up on the cross 
to bring eternal life to all who believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That, dear friends, is the Father's plan. And even though you may know those words well, it is the plan that no one could have ever figured out. No one could ever have dreamt up. But Jesus has made it known. He has made it known through his word. He has told it to his disciples and through them has had it recorded down for you and for me. And as you think about the Father's saving plan, think of how that moves us to love one another. The Father so loved us that he gave us his Son. And that gives you and me the confidence to love one another no matter what the cost because because you know the Father's great love for you. You know that your status before God does not depend on your effort or your works. Then how could we really love others without always worrying about where we stood with God? But no, your status before God depends entirely on his mercy in Christ. That was the Father's saving plan. That is the Father's saving plan that Jesus has made known. What a friend he is who makes the Father's plan known. And that plan for you not only points back to the cross that has saved you, it also points forward. And Jesus brings that out here as he goes on and says, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. And as we go to our Heavenly Father praying for the strength to produce that fruit, those prayers in Jesus' name are heard, he promises. And we talked about this a bit last week, didn't we? When we looked at the first eight verses of this chapter. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches who bear fruit as we remain in him. We talked about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and the works that follow. That's the Father's plan for you, dear friends, Jesus brings out here, to produce those fruits. And notice how Jesus sums all those fruits up. That simple command, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus has made the Father's plan known so that we can rely on our Heavenly Father and love one another with that full confidence that knows Jesus is your friend. And yet even as Jesus spoke these words to the disciples that night, they they were struggling with sorrow, weren't they? And soon that sorrow would give way to despair as they saw Jesus arrested and crucified how incomplete their joy was. But after his resurrection, they remembered his words and their joy grew more and more. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so also, dear friends, so often in this life, we may feel like the disciples did on that night and and really wonder where the joy is. Then remember your friend, your dearest friend, Jesus Christ, and how he has made the Father's plan known to you through his word. What joy to know the Father's love that gave you his Son. What joy to know the friendship of Jesus 
who laid down his life for you, and what joy to know the Spirit's work in you to produce fruit, fruit that will last. And so even though this life here is filled with its labor pains, what joy awaits us in Christ. What joy to love each other because Jesus is your friend. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.